my daughter's aware of Instagram because people at school have said to her, oh, I saw a picture of your house on your mum's Instagram site. That Instagram belongs to Charlotte Philby in London. But Charlotte wasn't always posting photos of her house. When she first got on Instagram, Charlotte was super private. She was a journalist and really appreciated being somewhat anonymous. I started off without ever putting out my name of my children, without putting out pictures and not identifying them even in newspaper articles. But then Charlotte changed jobs. She launched an online magazine, Motherland, and parenting became part of her personal brand. And therefore, so did photos of her three kids. You know, I'd walk in and they'd be doing this amazing game, like doing something completely ridiculous and hilarious and, and totally unselfconscious. And I'd be like, great, now just, just carry on doing what you're doing. Look a bit more natural, uh, left, right. And, you know, you can just see this look in their eyes, like, what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> Raise your hand if you've seen that look. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, your guide to this accelerating world. And note to self, asking someone's permission to post a picture of them online is not our cultural norm. But should it be? And what if that someone you're asking is your mom or your dad or your kid? A few months back, we asked you to do a survey to answer some questions about your photo posting habits when you post pictures of your nearest and dearest, or if you don't post any pictures of them. Over a thousand of you responded, thank you. And boy, do you guys have strong feelings on this one. Feelings of nuance and complexity, no surprise. Uh, but feelings that have also shifted over time, which is really interesting. You, Some of you would start to post photos with one set of standards for yourself, and then you'd see what everyone else was posting. Everything becomes so normalized, and your behavior, even behavior that you might once have questioned, becomes so everyday. Yeah, so back to Charlotte. Her new normal, posting pics of her kids all the time, did not work for her daughter. She's quite a private person, and she really, she said to me, like, what's Instagram? And I said, oh, it's where you put up pictures of things. And she was like, why would you want to show pictures of everything to everyone that's just showing off? Oof. Well, I kind of see her point. Anyway, Charlotte stopped. Cold turkey. Ditched the Instagram. Six months later, though, the death of a faraway friend pulled her back in. She's posting again. But it's different this time. I basically stopped uploading pictures of my children. I'll put a picture up of them if you can't really see their face. It's just constantly sort of trying to work out what the boundaries are for me and then probably crossing them again. It's weird, right? Like what feels completely normal today might feel completely wrong tomorrow. In our survey, many of you said that you have changed your thinking on posting pictures of your family members. Some of you have said that you just completely quit the platforms altogether. I mean, it kind of turns out that there are deep psychological issues baked into every photo that we fling up onto one of those platforms. Nothing is just a pretty picture. I had a couple come in a few years ago, and in the first session, they said to me, look, we want to tell you our brand. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. 
Meet Guy Winch. He is a psychologist with a private practice here in New York. He also writes books. And his new one is called How to Fix a Broken Heart. When I told him that we had done this survey on parents and kids and people posting pictures of their family, he was like, I got to see your data. And I got to tell you what it all means. The fact that a huge amount of people who responded to the survey actually took the time to write comments. It is an incredibly, I think it was close to 50%, yeah. and it is an extraordinarily unusual thing for that huh. to happen. And it's a testament to the engagement of your listeners and how they feel about the podcast and you, that they would really take the time to do that. It's highly unusual. Listeners, you and I are not surprised because that's what we <laughs> do here, right? We're working it out. Yes, you are. We're glad you're here, Guy, to help us with it. So about a 1,000 parents answered the survey, about 250 kids, and that could be kids who are, you know, 25 years old. We're all kids, right? And the, on this, they agree. They agree that we are not talking to each other about posting photos. 68% of the parents we surveyed said that they had never talked to their kids about whether or not to post photos. Does this surprise you or are you like, yeah, of course, no, very few people are talking about it? It doesn't surprise me. It dismays me. Uh, but it doesn't surprise me because when a technology is new, we're too busy using it to actually think about what the implications are of using it. It takes a while for that to catch up. We had teens and young adults whose parents don't post. Overwhelmingly, they told us that they feel great about that. Does that reflect what you hear from teens in your practice? So our tween and our teen years are extremely self-conscious years. And there's probably extraordinarily little upside for a teenager for their parents to post pictures. Most teenagers would rather not be seen in public with their parents, frankly. The parents could embarrass them. And probably most of them would feel like, yeah, if mom and dad didn't post, that it would just be easier all around. Right. So it makes total sense. Makes total sense. To me, the idea of photos and sharing what parents put on, what the children put on, it's a lot about what is the identity that you're trying to put out there of yourself as an individual and of your family. It is a marketing tool, even though you don't intend it as such. You are putting out images, and those images represent who you are and uh, how you're representing that. All right, so that's a perfect segue. I want to read you a quote from one of the... Um, people who took our survey. This young person was between the ages of 19 and 22 and wrote that sometimes I feel a level of discomfort about the fact that what my parents post of me is outside of the social media persona that I present. I definitely edit myself online and present a particular version of myself, which I love that they're saying that. Like, they totally get that they're presenting a version of themselves. And then they go on to write, it's weird because I do think that my parents, particularly my mom, do actually share a truer version of me, but it's not the version that I'm sharing. So occasionally it feels like they've crossed some invisible line, even if it's just a picture of me smiling at some event or something. What's that invisible line? 
Well, the invisible line is this line of the image management. In other words, this person is curating very carefully how they want to be presented online, and they clearly haven't informed their parents, or perhaps they have and their parents haven't fully understood what that image is supposed to represent. It's a complex presentation of who we are, and the fact that other people are posting about you or tagging you in photographs without your control can be distressing when it conflicts with the image you're trying to put out there. But, but Guy, how are we supposed to have that conversation? Like, Mom, so the image that I'm trying to craft online is one of uh, coolness and detached sophistication. So could you please not post pictures of me taking a nap on the couch? Actually, yes. Really? I, yes, I completely for that conversation. Why not? In other words, if that's what she's trying to do, what better way to get her parents to understand it than to just tell him? But that almost sounds like a conversation between, like, a, a marketing officer and the client. It's so sort of clinical in a way. It is clinical in a way. But the thing is, different ages use social media differently. And it could be her parents are using, I'm not sure if you said it was a not sure or she, but a um, their parents, it could be their parents are using social media just to catch up with friends. And younger people use social media very differently. It is about image curation. It is about influence. Since that is the case, of course we have to have that conversation with our family members saying, I use it for this purpose and therefore, mom and dad, could you pass the pictures by me before you post them or really make sure they fall into the uh, representation that I would like to have online? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And then there was one listener who actually pointed out that the impact of pictures can be hard to anticipate down the road. They, um, I'm 28. I'm a transgender man, and I transitioned when I was 18. I am so glad I grew up in a place with poor internet access before social media became big. It would have been horrible to have photos and personal data like my birth name from childhood and teen years when he uh, lived as a girl flouting around the internet. Um, Those photos can be more of a reflection of the idealized child you think you're having and not who they end up being. Correct. And that's true, I think, for adults as well, because we all go through changes in life. We continue to grow and develop, and our identity continues to change. For example, you know, if people get divorced, there will be lots of pictures of them in their honeymoon bliss floating around the internet, too. That does come back to bite you um, in all kinds of circumstances. I want to read you another quote that I have. This is a good one. Hang on, I got it. Okay. There were a couple... um, kids in their 20s, Mm. kids in quotation marks, who one of them said, my mom only posts pictures of me before I lost my hair and grew a beard and gained a few pounds. And that's very upsetting to him. You know, it's basically signaling that she loved the old son, not the one he's grown in to be. And another son said, it's very upsetting to me that my father only posts pictures of my three younger siblings. I'm never mentioned in his feed. So that's another aspect of this. To me, that's so interesting. But family dynamics can really get revealed through what we post on social media. For example, a parent of multiple children who tends to favor one in their posts rather than the others. And those dynamics can really show. And there are sometimes people in my own personal feed, I'll sometimes see people I know who have multiple children, and I'm like, hmm, there's one missing. Yet again. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't say anything because I'm not that close They're as not I paying would. you. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, there's that. Um, but you do notice those things. 
Okay, yet another reason I am glad that I don't post pictures of my kids. No one's going to check my feed to tally up son versus daughter. I love them both equally, although they like to guilt me these days that I prefer one of them over the other. Anyway, so many of us do post. Uh, People, in fact, working on this very podcast. (laughs) Jen, Kat, Megan, Joe. Not Joe. He does not post. They are smart. They are thoughtful about social media, those that do post. So there's got to be some upsides, right? Yeah, let's talk positive after the break. It's Note to Self. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. We asked and you answered. More than 1,200 of you shared your feelings about parents and kids posting photos of each other online. Half of the parents in the survey do post pictures of their kids. And a lot of you told us, you know what? You feel pretty good about it. And actually, so does psychologist Guy Winch. With a few caveats, of course. Let's talk about the positive of posting these images. I mean, so many of us do it. It can't be all terrible. Do you find that this is a chance for parents to sort of get a window into their kids' lives? So I always used to, before social media, I always used to coach parents on how to look for opportunities to bring up certain things because mm-hmm. you you had to find that window of opportunity uh, where the topic was being discussed so you could segue into it and usually the right time, which would always be a car ride because they, yes. they can't escape. And I think this presents a huge window because you can pretty much bring every any topic up under the premise of, oh, I looked at your Instagram post and I noticed such and such, I wanted to talk to you about this, or even uh, your friends post. When children, when teenagers, for example, have social media accounts, the parents have much, much more information about them. When kids go to college, you know, parents are desperate to know what's going on. And usually there'll be a conversation once a week or they'll be texting and, oh, my grades this, my, you know, activities that. But then you go and you see, oh, they were out here, they were there, they signed in to this place, they're in this restaurant or this bar, and oop, look a little hungover in that one. And um, <laughs> So to me, it's a huge advantage there of information that as parents, you know, we wouldn't have otherwise. The question is how you use the information. It's always about how you use the... Look, parents, right. many parents used to, maybe they still do, you know, like, you know, steal into their kids' room and read their right, diary right, right, to know right. what's going on. That's true. That's not better. You know, that's much much worse because that's not, you know, something that they have permission to do. The tricky part for parents is, oh, you found something out. How do I bring it up? Mm-hmm. And can I bring it up? Depends on the urgency, the importance of it. By bringing it up, you might be alerting your kid and then they will close that stream of information from you. So it presents complications. But I think that there's potential for good in this sense of information that parents can have and that children can have about their parents, you know, as well. I once worked with a young adult a few years ago who uh, parents were divorced and they found out through their parents' uh, social media that they were both dating again. Hmm. But they parents were following the rule of, and unless it's a serious relationship, I'm not going to mention it to my kid, which was fine, except if you're going on vacation with someone and you're posting pictures, your child might go, hmm, what's going on over who's there? Who's that with mommy? Yeah, who's that with mommy? And 
Why is he touching mommy that way? Um, <laughs> they, they look very relaxed. But then the teenager, the young adult, has the option to bring that up with mommy or say, mommy, go, you know, go enjoy yourself and let me know when there's something to talk about. That's a very mature teenager that you just described. I, that was my ideal version, not the, not the actual teenager. The actual teenager was, that's disgusting. <laughs> Someone's touching my mother. What else are they doing? But really, this is about... Parents don't have the option. You have to have the conversations. This medium is forcing it upon you, and it's good that you do. Mm. Okay, so my kid, he's 10, so not on social media yet, but it's coming. Do you have a lot of parents asking you, like, when is the right time to start doing this? Yes, when is the right time to allow social media? When is the right time to give them a phone? Yes. I mean, are they expressing a desire to post on social no, media? No, no. But, like, you you know, the some kids have a YouTube channel, and he knows other people who have a Pinterest. And, like, it's just—he's not—I don't think— Some he, people have three country homes. Right, that's true. So, good for them. You don't. <laughs> I don't actually. I don't know your situation. You might have no, three country I don't think, homes. No, I, that would be lovely. You <laughs> right? would be invited to all three. Thank yeah, you if so I much. did, I, I haven't um, been. That's why I'm assuming that you didn't. But uh, <laughs> um, no. But I, you know, you look around and like 10, 11, 12 year olds, tweens come in lots of different shapes and sizes and maturity. Yes, they do. Yes, and, they do. I mean, look. So here's the thing. There is a highly, highly addictive side to social media. You're using the word addictive. Oh, no, no. I'm using the word highly, highly addictive. Interesting. Three words. Um, two highlies precede <laughs> the addictive. That's how strongly I feel about it. And so when you're giving your child access to that, you are potentially setting them up for that addiction, for their face to be buried in their phones or tablets. And uh, it's not that we figured out the right uh, ways to deal with that either. So it's a very important decision, not just because what, photos will they post? But what are you doing to their lifestyle, their quality of life, the quality of your family life by giving them that level of intense distraction? I read something so, uh, ironically, I read it on Twitter, but it was an oncologist, pediatric oncologist who did interviews with his patients. I mean, if you want to have a good cry, ask the, you know, what do you feel best about in your life? And it was about hugs with their parents, cuddles with their dogs. None of them, when they were asked, said they wished they'd, you know, done more on social media or posted more or had more likes. When people think about what really matters, then if you're posting on social media when your dog is sitting right there and you're ignoring your beautiful puppy or older dog or your parents in the other room and they're not going to be around forever and you could be actually having a conversation or doing something with them or your siblings, frankly. There's decisions we need to make about what's valuable and how we spend that time. They seem like really morbid, big decisions. Isn't it just so much easier just to be like, oh my God, look at my latte foam. Um, it's the memoir question. When you write your memoirs, is that going in? Or not. If it's not important enough to go into your memoirs, should you write them, then it's not worth, you know, dwelling on. And the latter film is not going to be a chapter no. in anyone's memoirs. I love the memoir rule. I love that. But why, I think so many of us think, well, my Instagram feed is my memoir. I'm documenting my life and, and building a story every day. To an extent, that's true. And that's somebody who's actually curating thoughtfully. 
different story than most people. For most people, I would say, go through your Instagram feed and look at your life story and just ask yourself, is that my life story? Is that what I want my life story to be? Um, and if so, terrific. But many people will find like, maybe not exactly my life story. And then you're not really doing that. You're just trying to put out there uh, to get more followers. I mean, that's another thing, the follower phenomenon. In one of the research papers I read for this new book, one of the things that troubled people most about breakups was that they lose followers because some of the followers came with the other person and when they lose the other person, they get unfollowed and then they get very distressed about the batch unfollowing. Huh. Really, it should be about, are you heartbroken because you lost the relationship or because you lost the followers? <laughs> and when I ask people that, they go, well, both. I'm like, okay, well, which more? Because maybe it's not so much romantic heartbreak and just social media depression. Or like, oh, my God, those people didn't really follow me for me. They just, it's all fake. My life was a sham. No, it's not usually that. When you're with someone, then their friends follow you. But then when you break up, like in any breakup, people Let's tend to realistic. choose sides. Okay. And then I will be disloyal to follow you. Oh, so they stop in the idea of the disloyalty. <sighs> yeah. We all have to choose sides. We all have to be good or bad or up or down or right or wrong. Yeah, it's unfortunate. We do have this tendency to dichotomize unnecessarily. But but we are complex creatures. When I ask people how they feel, they're likely to respond with one feeling, as if we have one feeling at a time, when we have a tapestry of feelings mm. at the time. We feel multiple feelings at the same time. They're all woven together. We feel anxious, but also a little sad, and also a little demoralized, and also a little hopeful, but also a little regretful. So it's about what are the strands of emotion we have at any given moment rather than a singular feeling. We have to make our ideas about our lives and our emotions more complex than we typically do in general. And that would work well with social media because it's a complex medium. This conversation has had the unexpected effect of making me think social media is very good. Today, I'm for it because you just made me think that nuance can actually live out there, that we can have more conversations and and maybe we're getting to a point where we're representing ourselves in various ways and people have to accept all our different identities and maybe we went to the worst place and now we'll build back and, and do the good stuff. I think I will agree with you partially in that I think we can make social media really good for us and for others. It depends how we use it. We have to be then informed and mindful of how we use it for it to be good. When we are on autopilot, when we are not yeah. thinking about it, I tend to think it's more negative than good, but I think that it is a tool. We can wield it in a very positive way if we're thoughtful about it and if we do it correctly. Including in our relationships as parents and as kids. Including in that. Guy Winch, thank you. Thank you. All right, I got to say, guys, before we had such a big reaction to the survey that we put online, part of me kind of wondered if me and my team were making a mountain out of a molehill. Like, were we overthinking this whole photo sharing thing? Was this just us? But actually, all of your comments confirmed my hunch. These questions matter. Even someone as wise and self-aware and charming and wisecracking as Guy Winch struggles with them. So I'll, I'll tell you this one story. A few months ago, I was in Japan doing a television show, and I had a day of different photo shoots with various big media outlets. Only I wasn't told. I was told there's one, not five. And so I had the same clothing on 
for all of them, and all of them had me stand against a wall and pose with folded arms. And when I moved my arms into a non-folded position, they said, no, 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 folded arms. Uh, all the articles came out in the same day. I'm standing in the same pose and wearing the same clothes, just in different backgrounds. And what it look and and since they came out, um, it it looked like I don't change clothes. Is what it looked like, and that I'm incapable of posing this in any other pose. One shirt for two weeks in Japan. Exactly. Um, you're just as vain as the rest of us. Absolutely. Is that okay? It's factual. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. I think our work is done. Guy Winch's new book is called How to Fix a Broken Heart. Your own, your kids, your friend at work who just lost their dog. Seriously, there's a whole part about the heartbreak of losing a pet, which is very real. And Charlotte Philby, a thank you to her. You heard her at the start of the show. She happens to be, fun fact here, she happens to be the granddaughter of legendary British spy Kim Philby. And she wrote an amazing article about that family history. Talk about public self versus private self. We'll definitely put a link to that in our newsletter. It's super interesting. We will also put more of your brilliant, insightful, and poignant thoughts on photo sharing into a Medium post. Yeah, you can find a link on our website at notetoselfradio.org. You guys left us over 600 comments on our survey that we did. So we could not fit it all into this episode. And you told us some really cool things and weird things and some sad things. Anyway, we're going to write it all up into that Medium post because you guys are amazing. So go check it out. Oh, and by the way, do you know another place to leave comments? Why, yes, it's on Apple Podcasts in a review. Those comments and stars get us in front of more people. They bring note to self to more audiences and they keep growing our movement of thoughtful technology. I mean, imagine a world where everyone used their devices in creative, intentional ways, not just you. Sounds good, right? Okay, for now, the Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plourd. Many thanks to Keegan Zima for his help, too. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios, and I'm Manoush Samarodi. Thanks for listening. There was one picture somebody posted where I look like I'm doing whoosh. And I don't know why I would be doing whoosh, but it literally looked like I'm imitating some kind of drainage sound. I don't know what. And when I contemplated them and I said, oh, is there perhaps a better image? One in which, you know, my, I, I don't look as much like a hamster. And um, they said, oh, OK. But they, clearly they hadn't thought about it. But why did you care? You're like some like Zen psychologist who doesn't want to look like a hamster. Fair enough. There we are.